Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I want to speak to you this evening about a title that is simply this, Joy That Overcomes. Joy That Overcomes. And I think it's appropriate in terms of just I listened to what Tony shared last week, and it was just an amazing message, and uh, I do echo what, what Kath said about downloading that and getting that podcast, and she's giving it away for free, but I'm selling it in Canberra. <laughs> That's how good it is. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not doing that at all. But you will be blessed if you want to know how, to, how do you process, how do you get through things when life throws you lemons, then have a listen not only to Tony's message, but Kath's message the week before. Because both of them are full of just a wonderful insights and practical reality of how to do that. And I want to build on that this evening and speak about joy that overcomes. Joy that no matter what it is that you may be facing, ensures that you don't just survive, but you thrive. And, and there is, it is possible to actually live in that place. And so we're going to have a look, and I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're gonna, from verse 12. And let me just give you a little bit of background while you're turning there about it's important to have a context because here Paul's writing this letter to this church in Philippi, which was a Roman colony. And there was some, it was a church that he planted along with Paul, Silas, and Timothy, uh, with Silas and Timothy. They planted this church and there was just some incredible things that actually happened there. Then one occasion they actually met this business owner, this woman called Lydia, and, and they had such a profound impact on her that she and her whole household got saved and baptized. And then there's, there's a slave girl we see while they're in this place of Philippi that as Paul, Silas, and Timothy are walking around and ministering, this slave girl follows them around and she's got this like fortune-telling kind of gift going on and she's just making a nuisance of herself and following them around and eventually Paul turns around and casts the spirit out of her. I, I think we need to see a little bit more of that these days. Some people kind of like almost like uh, deliverance is like a no-no word in the church these days, and, and yet the, there's, there's still spirits around. I don't think we should give him as, the devil as much credit as we do, but I do think there's a reality to these things that we need to, just the, Jesus himself said, said that you need to you know, understand this is a real element, the supernatural element. So Paul casts his demon out of, this, out of this woman, and her owners are so upset because their business that they were getting from her now tanks because she's no longer fortune-telling and doing all these kind of things because that demon's now being cast out of her. And, and so they get upset, and, 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 and there's this whole riot that sparked up against them. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy actually end up getting thrown into jail. Philippi, great place to be. Life is really peachy in Philippi. No, it's not. You actually end up in jail in Philippi. There was stuff going on as they were going about the things of the kingdom, and there was opposition, there was hardship. And, and, and yet while they were in prison, there's this amazing picture when you read in the book of Acts. You just see while they were in prison, Paul and Silas and Timothy just, just begin to start worshiping God. And to me, this is a wonderful thing there, that whenever you're going through difficulties and things, when you don't know what to do, when you are at a loss about what you, what you need to do, just worship. Yeah. And even if you can't worship, just put worship on or get Elise to come stand in your room and just sing, I don't know, do something like that. Don't get Dan because it may not be helpful. I love you, my boy. I kissed you this morning. It was good. 
What's wrong with you guys? You just take it such a wrong way. It's bad. It was pure, 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 pure. But anyway, they worship. And then what actually ends up actually beginning to happen as they worship is that there's this amazing thing that actually happens is that there's a supernatural earthquake. I don't know about you, but I, I'm quite keen one day. I'd love to, I don't know, I'm kind of like, I'd love to, but I didn't, don't want to experience a supernatural earthquake. And so the supernatural earthquake comes along and shakes the building. And it says it shakes it so hard that all the prison doors fly open and all the chains of the prisoners fall off. Because how many of you know that when the supernatural presence of God comes, chains fall away. What was locked is opened up. When you invite God into the equation, when you exalt Him, that's when you open yourself to the supernatural and God does amazing things. So terrified is the jailer because he sees what's happening. He wakes up and he kind of thinks, oh no, all the prisoners have gone. <laughs> and he thinks, oh, I'm actually gonna take my life now because, because I'm gonna get into trouble and, 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 and these prisoners have gone. And it says that Paul turns around and shouts out to him, hey, we're still here. <laughs> I love that thought that they could have run for it. They're free, they could have run, but they chose not to. They chose to stay in that cell, that prison, because there was some unfinished business that needed to happen there. And it says that the jailer, when he saw that they were there, it says that he fell to his knees and he cried out to them and he said to them, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Isn't that amazing? That in the midst of this trial, this difficulty, this is all in Philippi, this place where this letter that we're about to read is written, that there's this incredible thing out of this adversity, out of this hardship, there's this incredible God moment that takes place. This jailer, who is at the heart of it all, ends up getting saved. And he and his whole household get saved and baptized. And the next day, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are released, and they go back to the house of Lydia, who got saved earlier, and they encourage the new believers. And so he writes to this church in this book of Philippians, and, and, and he's, now, he's, he's now elsewhere. In fact, they think that when Paul wrote this letter in Philippians, he was actually in prison again. <laughs> so here's Paul. They think he was actually under house arrest during this time. And so he, he's under house arrest and now he's writing back to this church in Philippi where all these amazing things have taken place. And he writes back to them to do a number of things. He writes back to them to thank them. He writes back to them to encourage them to press forward towards the goal that God has for them. He writes to them to live a life worthy of Him. He writes to them to say, don't be anxious, don't worry about anything. I'm amazed and in this day and age how anxiety has become the new thing. There's so many people that are just living with anxiety. And I'm not saying that it's real, but I'm wondering where have we gone wrong as a society that there's no longer that resilience, that resilience that comes from Jesus, that resilience that comes from the cross. Why are we raising a generation who are so stressed out so anxious about everything that when as soon as any pressures are applied, they buckle. And our answer is let's get them medication. I want you to hear my heart on this because 
There's some people that I think it's really important to be on medication and get professional help, and we refer people in our church to do exactly that. I'm a realist with those things. But I'm also very, a little concerned about how we swung the pendulum so much the other way. That we've forgotten how to find resilience in the midst of difficulty. We need to find a joy that can overcome. We need to discover a joy that can stand the test. We need to discover a joy that when pressure comes, we don't just crumble. But as it says in, 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 in Philippians, it says we can stand firm. Stand firm. When all else fails, you can stand firm. That's got very little to do with you, and it's got a whole lot to do with Jesus in you. And Jesus in you is what's going to give you that ability to rise above anxiety, to rise above fear, to rise above all of those things, and to stand firm. I think we can turn the tide of anxiety. Because the Bible says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. With prayer and petition, present your request to God. And what I see is that people are spending so much time being anxious, they're forgetting to do the thing that the Bible tells us to do, which is to pray. And prayer is simply connecting with Jesus, catching His heart, getting what we need to run the race that He's got for us. We need to find resilience in Him. And it is possible to find a joy that overcomes. I want us to read from verse 12 of chapter 1. As I said this morning, if you haven't found it by now, stop and you'll never find it. Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 says, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, think of the context I've just given you, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What an amazing passage there because the underlying theme of Paul's writing here is how do you keep joy? How do you keep joy in the midst of that? In fact, this letter of Philippians is actually called the letter of joy because it's actually mentioned 16 times in just a few chapters it's actually written. This concept of joy. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a different kind of concept because you may not always be happy but you can learn to be joyful. Happiness is situational, whereas joy is spiritual. Happiness is shaky, whereas joy has a strong foundation. Happiness can be temporary, whereas joy is something that is lasting. Paul writes, and he's got this incredible joy. You get the sense of he's got this amazing joy. He's in prison, and he's actually encouraging those others who are going through hardships, and he's saying, man, I count it pure joy. There's something deeper in that that I think we've got to grasp and understand. Here's the thing. I don't just want a happy marriage. I want a joyful marriage. I don't just want a happy family. I want a family that is at its very foundation is joy. I don't just want a happy life. Lord, take me now if that's all I'm aiming for is a happy life. There's got to be more than just happiness. There's something far deeper, far richer, far more important than that. And that is the joy that the Lord wants us to be living in. He wants you not just to be happy. He wants you to be far deeper than that. He wants you to be joyful. 
Paul's situation wasn't great. He was imprisoned in chains. And yet there was a joy inside of him that defied the situation. It's a deeper, it's a spiritual thing. It's where Jesus wants us to live. Jesus, for that joy set before him, I said this this morning, endured the shame of the cross. It was joy that enabled him to go through the most horrific death that you can imagine. It was joy that he looked through that cross with all its pain, all its hurt, all its suffering, because we've got to understand that even though Jesus was fully God, he was also fully human. And so that cross was real, and the pain was real, and the suffering was real, and the death was real. And yet he says he was able to look through all of that and he saw a joy that lay on the other side. He saw you, he saw your, your wife, your husband, your kids, generations to come. And he looked through that and he said, man, there's something far greater. And it's that joy that's going to enable me to go through this pain. I believe there's a word here for some of you tonight because you're going through difficulties, you're going through hardship, you're going through things, and you're saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. And yes, maybe in the natural you can't, but Jesus can. And He wants you to find yourself in Him and trust Him because He's already done it. He went through it and He saw joy and He is joy and He wants that joy to be residing inside of you too so that you can have the strength and the power and the endurance to walk it through. Paul is writing this letter and saying, guys, find joy. And what we see is a few things I just want to highlight tonight that are actually the foundation of our joy. And the first thing is this, is that God can use wherever we find ourselves to affect His purposes. God can use wherever we find ourselves to affect His purposes. He says in verse 12, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I want you to think about that thought because there's two important consequences that He puts in there and he says there's two things that have happened because of my chains and what's happened. He says the gospel is spread and the second thing he says others have been encouraged. That's what I love about just watching Tone and Kath as they've journeyed through this time. And, and I, I don't want to idolize them in any way or, or, you know, because that's not who they are and we're not about that. But the Bible does say look at the example of your leaders. They're not more special, but they are leaders. They're called to lead, and, and there's something that they're modeling that's being an example to you, that's enabling you to actually learn how to have courage and find joy in the midst of difficulty. And so I would say to you, watch their life closely. Watch what they do. Not just what they say, but what they do. Because the example is there. Here's the thing. Never think that your situation is the winner. Because Jesus can turn anything around for good and to affect His purposes. I hope that theologically you understand that and you believe that. That the situation is never the winner. The situation may be real. The situation may be very current and present in your life. But the situation does not need to be the winner. God can use any situation and turn it around to affect His purposes. You know, there's a young man that got saved in our church in 2014, and he posted something on social media just uh, about a week ago. And he said this, I'm going to read, I wonder if you can just indulge me for a moment as I just read this out to you. But he says, on the 31st of October 2014, 
The day my life did a 360 and completely changed forever, I was sitting in my room completely hopeless and lost. Some of you may feel like that tonight. And I felt like I had nothing, and that led me to a point where I wanted to take my own life. There may be someone here tonight that that's you. You may even right now be kind of wrestling with that very thing and thinking, man, the only answer is to end my own life. Let me tell you tonight, that's not the answer. That is not the answer. He said, I was close, so close to doing it until I heard a voice in my head that said, try Jesus. And I was a bit confused, but completely hopeless. So I got down on my knees and I just started praying. And before I could finish, God gave me a vision of the face of a lady who I lived near me, a lady called Sharon, who's actually in our church. And so I walked to her house completely broken and in tears. And I knocked on the door and straight away she came out and prayed for me, which I'm extremely grateful for. She also told me about her church's youth group, which is our church, that was on that night and encouraged me to go, and so I did. And when I got there, I was welcomed with open arms, but I still felt awful and I felt like something was missing. And that was until my now pastor's son, Dan McGaw, Dan, Dan, who's right here, encouraged me to come back to his house where him and his dad, Pastor Matt, that's me, <laughs> prayed with me. And I gave my life to Jesus, exclamation mark. The best decision I ever made. I was addicted to drugs, mostly marijuana, and kicked out of my home because of my violent episodes where I'd go off and punch holes in the wall, etc. And in a single moment, in a single decision, all of that changed. I was completely set free and changed in a positive way forever. A few days later, I was back at home, and my home life has never been better. I had a few stuff-ups at first, but now it's, I've been free of weed for over a year. And the best of all, I'm no longer hopeless or suicidal. I'm not saying that my life is now completely perfect or that I'm the perfect Christian, but I am saying that I'm completely transformed and never alone. To anybody reading this or hearing this, Jesus loves you so much and has a plan and a purpose for your life. You don't have to do it by yourself. Don't let your situation be the winner. Your situation, Jesus can turn anything around just as this young man and he's now, he's pursuing a, a career and he's a rap musician and he's written songs and the cool thing is he's been signed by a secular label but he's writing Christian songs about the transforming work of Jesus. And he's going into nightclubs and these dark places where people are hopeless and he's singing about Jesus. And now some of his friends are starting to get saved and his friends are coming to church and they're inquiring. And it's the most amazing thing. See, here was this guy, he was desperate. He was thinking it's hopeless. He was thinking the situation is the winner until he found Jesus. And then he found hope and he found joy that helps him to overcome. He's still on a journey. He'll be the first one to admit that. But don't let the situation be the winner. You know, these chains that Paul was in and that he was referring to in this text, they were designed to slow down the gospel. But actually, they had the opposite effect. The very things that were trying to slow down the gospel actually ended up accelerating the gospel. <laughs> because it says, actually, through him, all of these people began to hear the good news. Jesus wants to use your life and what you're going through to reach others for Jesus. 
You're not a victim. You're an overcomer through Christ Jesus. I love the thought about Joseph, who at the end of his days after his brothers had been through the whole story with his brothers and his brothers had tried to sell him into slavery and, and all this kind of thing. And he stands at the back end of this, or the back end of the account at the end of Genesis, and he says this to his brothers. He says, what you intended for evil, God turned around for good. See, that's the God that we serve. Don't allow your situation to be the winner. God can use your situation. Paul did not see himself as a prisoner or victim of his circumstance. He was real about his circumstances. He knew the guards were real. The imprisonment was real. He had been falsely accused. He'd almost been lynched by a religious mob. He'd been thrown into prison. He was the subject of unjust, unsubstantiated, unprovoked accusation. He was kept under lock and key for no reason, and yet he didn't see himself as a victim, he says simply this, I am in chains for Christ. There's something deeper in that that says joy enables you to rise above your situation and your circumstance and God can use your situation. Jesus was alive in Him. Jesus was the reason for His hope. Jesus was the foundation of His joy. Jesus was the reason for His faith and His passion. Wherever you find yourself this evening, whatever's going on in your world, be encouraged because that same Jesus lives in you. Lives in you. Here's the thing though, Paul had to do something with that truth. Paul also had to do something with it because it's all very well that that's the truth and you could be sitting here and saying, yeah, 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 that's true, but what are you going to do with that? Because has to, you have to activate that. You have to do something with that. And here's the thing. Paul didn't live like a chained man. He lived like a free man, even in his chains. Whatever your situation is, are you living chained? Or are you living free despite your chains? I believe God's speaking to someone here tonight. He's speaking to you. And you've got to, it's almost like there's a transaction that's going on in your thinking because you've been seeing yourself as chained. And right now, even as I'm talking, God's saying, you're not chained, you're actually free. And I want you to be free in your mind and I want you to be free in your spirit. I want you to discover true joy in the midst of your situation. You know, get this, I want you to think about this. Your perspective of a situation will determine and dictate your response in that situation. We need to have an elevated perspective that lifts us above the here and now and to see what Jesus sees. You know, here's the thing that says in the book of Ephesians, it says that we are seated at the right hand, uh, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and that we are also with Jesus. And so here's the thing, if that's so true, we're with Jesus and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And if we were to understand that, we're often so busy looking at our situation from this perspective. And we're, we're there, we just see the, we can't see the wood for the trees and everything just looks crazy and everything looks confusing and everything looks dark and everything just looks like it's going mad. And you think, man, where, where's the hope? But Jesus isn't down there. Jesus is elevated. He says, hey, actually, you need to come up here with me and you need to see what I see. Because when you have an elevated perspective, all of a sudden you begin to see the situation in a very, very different way. Yeah. 
You know, when we were, uh, we went on a family holiday back to South Africa a few years ago, and there's a soccer stadium that was used in the World Cup that they had there, and the soccer has actually got this thing that goes over it, and you can take a, a, a cable car up to the top and be on top of this. Now, I don't have a head for heights. And so the family say, let's go up, and I'm like, yeah, let's go up. It's this little narrow thing like this. Well, maybe it's this part, but to me it was like this. You jump in this cable car, you get in this thing, and as it begins to take off, fear overcomes me. And literally, this great man of God, this great man of faith, does this incredible thing. I literally collapsed to my feet, and I sat on the ground. And I said to the guy, please, can you stop it? Maybe not quite like that. I probably was a little bit more like, please, can you stop it? <laughs> and the guy said to me in a good African voice, he says, sir, he says, this thing cannot stop until it gets to the top. I'm like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> but here's the thing. I was fearful. I was going, and so I'm stuck. I'm, I get to the top, and I get out, and all, all of a sudden, I've got an elevated perspective. And I'm looking out over the city, and all of a sudden, my fear has gone. What was kind of in the bottom, I was scared of, I was fearful of when I was down the bottom. All of a sudden now with this elevated perspective, I'm standing up there and I'm going, whoa, look at this. Hey, babes, come look over here. Isn't that amazing? Look at this vista. Look at this. Oh, I can see where I grew up. I can see the house. I can see this. I can see that. No fear. You see, an elevated perspective helps you look and overcome the things that we sometimes fear. The second thing that we see is that the gospel in verse 15 will advance no matter what. Paul says it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others do out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? I love this. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, that Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yeah. Oh, that that scripture has always mystified and intrigued me. I think, what are you saying, Paul? And I love that he, he just has this different perspective. And, and, and you can see that the source of his joy in the midst of his difficult circumstance because there were some believers that loved him and supported him, and there's others that were actively working against him. And yet somehow he had something that was far deeper. And he said, man, you know what? The main thing isn't who's for me and who's against me. The main thing is that, that the gospel is being preached, and people are being saved. And, and that's the main thing. You see, Paul wasn't just Mr. Positive Energy. He wasn't some positive confession guru. And, I, and I, so I think sometimes Pentecostalism has actually kind of got us into a little bit of trouble at times. It's kind of, kind of just, 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 just proclaim it. Just, and I get all of that, but sometimes it's kind of, I think, put us in a place where it's not just all about positive confession. Because Paul wasn't that guy. But there was something that was inside of him. Because he didn't have his head so high in the clouds that he wasn't any earthly good. But he was able to see everything through the lenses that it was all part of a bigger picture that God was working. There was a bigger story that was unfolding. There was something bigger than just his life that was playing out. 
And I think if we can just see our lives that way, that we are all part of His story. We're all part of the unfolding story of God's plan to see the nations one for Christ, to see the gospel come to all men and women. We're all part of His story. And when we understand that, we understand there's a bigger picture. Listen to this. When the, here, here's the thing. We often get the so-so wrong, and we make the wrong things the main thing. And I've always said this. I said, when the second things become the main thing, that's when the main thing becomes the lost thing. When second things become the main thing, that's when the main thing becomes the lost thing. We've got to make sure the main thing stays the main thing. And Paul says, you know what? I don't care what people are preaching about. What the main thing is that the gospel is being preached. That's the bigger story. The bigger story is my kingdom is advancing. What happened at the cross of Calvary and the subsequent resurrection of Jesus was just an incredible victory. What the devil thought was going to be a defeat, Jesus turns around into a victory. And the reason why Paul had such incredible joy because he knew that he was on the winning team. He knew that ultimately we win. We win. Situation doesn't win, we win. Thirdly, and I'm going to finish with this, is that we have a deliverer and his name is Jesus. Verse 18, Philippians chapter one says, you and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul is so confident of God's hand at work in his life and his situation that he's absolutely confident that God will deliver him. I'm sure he wasn't quite sure how that was always going to work out. He wasn't sure of the ability. And I know that he wasn't just talking about delivering him from prison because the word that's actually used there is a word that literally means salvation, soterio, salvation. It's talking about something more than just physical freedom. He's talking about a deliverance that is far deeper. He's talking about something that is born in his spirit. And he says, whether I'm freed or not, whether I live, I d- live or die, Paul says, I know that I'm free already. I'm free. I'm free on the inside. I'm free within. He knew that. Romans 8 verse 37 says this. He says, now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who, is, who has loved us. For I'm convinced That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor death, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the thing, death can only be gained if Jesus is our Saviour. Without Jesus, it's loss. (laughs) With Jesus, it's gain. 
And Paul identifies two key elements that identify that was able him to live in this place of understanding the deliverance of God. Two key things he identifies in that text we just read. And the first one is this. He said the prayers of others. You know, when you're going through a situation, you're going through circumstance, never underestimate the prayers of others. I love Tony was standing up here this morning and just testifying to the prayers of people around the world that have been praying for them as a family over this time. And he says, man, you know what? I felt it. One of the ways that you keep joy in the midst of a situation, one of the ways that you find overcoming joy is through Christ, but it's also understanding the prayers of others. There's something supernatural that's unleashed when we pray. That's where we tap into the supernatural realm. When you pray for others, when you're going through a situation, that's why it's so important to belong to a church. That's why it's so important to be in community because as you link arms together and as you join faith together, there's something supernatural that is released. One puts to flight a thousand, two, ten thousand. That's the principle of the Bible. And so to try and do life alone on your own and say, I don't need to be accountable to a church. I don't need to go there. I'm just part of the universal church. I love Jesus. I can just float around and go to different churches all the time. That is not the gospel. That is not the, what the Bible says. The Bible says church is God's plan. Being committed to a local fellowship of believers where you can get together and do life and journey through life and people can pray for you and you can pray for them and you can encourage one another and help one another and at times even rebuke one another but it's God's plan that's how you keep joy in the midst of difficult situations but not only is it the prayers of other Paul says one more thing and it's simply this he says it's the provision of the Holy Spirit he said it's through the prayers of others but it's also through the indwelling of the Spirit of God that I have joy Right now, we're doing a series in our church called Spirit. Because I, I'm just kind of sitting and I'm thinking, it's like the Holy Spirit's become the lost part of the Godhead. And Christians are trying to live without the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm thinking, why? Because the Bible tells me it's the Spirit of God that makes Jesus real to me. It's the Holy Spirit that witnesses with my spirit that I am His Son. It's the Holy Spirit that leads me and guides me and brings wisdom and strengthens me and empowers me and gives me what I don't have in the natural. It's the Holy Spirit that Jesus says, it's better that I go because I'm going to send another to you who's going to be the Holy Spirit, who's going to be a gift that I'm going to give you that's going to enable you to do this incredible task called living that I want you to do. And He says, you need the Holy Spirit. How do you keep joy in the midst of difficulty? When you get to the end of yourself, you realize, I need help. And the Holy Spirit has been given to help. He is the counselor. And He wants to counsel you, to lift you, and heal you, and strengthen you when you've got nothing left. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 